Welcome to Season 2 of Visiting's Radio Show, where we talk to artists who are engaged with the public outside the traditional exhibition spaces. I'm Alan Nakagawa. Artist Krita Kent, who is during a span of time sister Krita Kent, is an internationally recognized artist who created visual art that was social, political, spiritual, and innovative. She designed community-involved happenings that addressed global issues, public art, in addition to her printmaking and paintings. She was born in 1918 and passed away in 1986. But here in Los Angeles is the Krita Art Center, and Olivia Chan, who is on staff there, was kind enough to give us a tour of the facility and to talk about Karita Kent's legacy. So my name is Olivia Shaw, and I am officially the collections manager at the Karita Art Center. So the Karita Arts Center is a nonprofit organization under um, the larger umbrella of the Immaculate Heart Community, and it's an organization that is um, supporting the historical legacy of the artist, former nun Karita Kent. And the way that we do that is through, um, you know overseeing three different collections, um, the permanent collection of her existing prints, a sales collection of her prints, which we still sell, um, and then her archives collection, um, which she all gifted to the Immaculate Heart community when she passed away. Wow. It oversees different ministries, including um, La Casa Esperanza, um, which is a center in Pacoima um, okay. that sort of does after-school programs for low-income families um, and high-risk teenagers. Um, we had a retreat center in Montecito, um, Casa Esperanza, um, that was used for, you know, different kinds of retreats or you can go and have like um, just a nice quiet weekend um, at one of the um, rooms there um, or you can you know rent out the whole um, space for larger I don't know sometimes corporations need a leadership retreats oh, like I see, that. I see. Okay. Um, but though that um, ministry actually during the floods and the fires um, oh, the recent ones yeah the recent oh. ones um, Basically, most of the property was kind of swept away. So, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Is it a foothill? Is it on a foothill? Yeah, oh, it no. is. And there was um, a kind of creek that went through it, too. Um, but I think maybe like 70% of that property was kind of washed away. Um, so, we're sort of in this rebuilding time, and that ministry has been closed since. So, it's not active. Oh. And then we also have a third, um, it's sort of a residency housing called Kenmore in Koreatown. Oh. And it houses a lot of the um, members of the Immaculate Heart um, community, the aging members. Um, and there's like a cafeteria there and they have a programming director there. Um, but it is also, it's an apartment complex, so it's also open to the, you know, people just want to rent it out. Um, I, I noticed you said former sister or former, former nun? Is that the terminology you used? Yeah, so they were the nuns that, um, they were all a part of the Immaculate Heart of Mary order. 
um, but a lot of them left shortly after Corita left um, the Immaculate Heart College, um, and then they formed their own nonprofit organization, and they left the church. So. Right. They continue to be the Immaculate Heart community. Yes, they they remain. So they changed their name in a sense, modified their name. Yeah, they modified their name, but you know, and it's supposed to be an ecumenical lay community, so that means that there wasn't supposed to be a specific religion associated oh, okay. with the organization, even though the name itself would, you know lead you to believe that it's obviously Catholic, but... Um, Sounds pretty Catholic. Yeah, yeah, but I don't think that, um, at least now as it stands, it's not necessarily about a particular religion. It's what about the high school? Are they... They're not, we're not affiliated with the high school in any way. Oh, um, okay. They actually rent the property from us, the Immaculate Heart community. Was she teaching there? Yeah, she was teaching there. She was a much beloved professor, oh. um, but also just known to have these very intense, labor-intensive, crazy art classes where she would give these assignments that were just like, make 300 drawings by next Tuesday. All right. Yeah. <laughs> just to kind of take the preciousness out of, um, you know, art making. You right, know, to right. To think of art making as more of a creative exercise oh. versus a kind of like technical, you need to make a beautiful drawing right. every time exercise. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was very, very prolific. Um, so maybe like 900 to 1,000 original prints in our collection, um, and that's not including. We have a huge watercolor collection, um, and then again, just like one-off weird things that she did. Like she made a uh, a banner for the Catholic Church or for oh. the Vatican um, at uh, what was it? Some sort of pavilion at some weird world's fair oh. like she would do funny commissions like that and we have one of the three designs that she did so this is basically the whole center this is um the permanent exhibition which is i guess for the radio world they can't see it but it's just a long hallway <laughs> Um, we share our administrative offices with the Immaculate Heart community, um, so these are a lot of our members um, um, on the board. Um, and then are the, some of these folks the sisters who? Yeah, left? yeah. These are the former nuns: um, Helen Kelly, um, Anita Caspery. She wrote wow. a book on the Immaculate Heart community. Um, much respect. Yeah, yeah, they're really, really incredible women. Um, and still, like, very, very active um, in political and social justice causes. So, yeah. So, they, knew, of course, they knew Corita Kent. Yeah, and she was the former president um, of the college, and she was really, really. Um, I mean, Corita gets a lot of the attention because she was the kind of figurehead of, because she was the artist and she was getting a lot of media attention, but the whole um, order and the whole college were, you know, a lot of the nuns were so progressive at the time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
so this is our gift shop. Um, we do some merchandising for Corita, um, and we sell cool stuff here. Cool. Yeah. What's that yellow book? Oh, so we did a really um, amazing, well, Atelier Editions did this incredible book on her International Signal Code Alphabet series. Um, so this is the whole series reproduced. Um, yeah, this is one of my favorite um, series of work she did because when she left the church in 1968, um, she was really, really prolific, and she made two different series of alphabets. One was the International Signal Code alphabet, and the other was the Circus Alphabet series, but this is based off of, um, I didn't know what signal code flags were. Do you know what this is? Like, I guess in... Is that for the Air, Air Force? They use for aircraft carriers? It's like for sailing. For, oh, for sailing. Yeah, Sorry. so it's like, you know, if they if a boat needed help, they would have a specific flag for oh. it, um, for distress signals, but other kinds of... I see, I see. Yeah. I don't know anything Signals. Yeah, no, I didn't either, and I was like, what are these flags? And I looked it oh. up one day, and I was like, wow, there's this whole other language and vocabulary. The no, the flags weren't created, but you can see the design of the flag here which is this like quad um, composition of like color but and then she superimposed these found images from graphic illustration oh. books from like the 18th and 19th century you so think someday they'll make real flags make, make maybe flags. that yeah. would be great um, yeah so and then this is her when she was teaching at the Immaculate Heart College um, that's her in the middle there um, teaching her silk screening classes. Yeah, this was, you know, 1955, so it was, you know, I don't know if you know about the history of, like, Vatican II, but this moment when the nuns were becoming more sort of open and more, quote-unquote, progressive, but one of the things that they were really fighting was to just um, get their habits removed so they didn't have to wear habits anymore. Yeah, it's hard to do uh, a silk screen Yeah, yeah, so I have a but cool... She, she's doing it. Yeah, and I guess the different shapes of the habits meant different orders. Um, How do you keep them clean? I know. it's so They're so insane. There's these like architectural sculptures on your body. I mean, I think they're actually quite beautiful, and a lot of the imagery you see from this time I think is so seductive because they're wearing these like beautiful, not to objectify them in that way, but the images are just so stunning because you see this like beautiful costume against just like, oh yeah, they're just in the studio. What is this you were saying, you were referring to So um, this is uh, called the 10 rules, um, on the Immaculate Heart College Art Department rules. Um, Are these her, her Yeah, okay. so they're her rules that she composed actually with her students. And, you know, rule number 10 is we're breaking all the rules, even our own rules. And how do we do that? By leave pl leaving plenty of room for X quantities was actually, you know, a John Cage quote. Nice. Um, and there's actually a lot of contrary stuff on the internet that says that John Cage wrote the rules, but that's not true. It's just that he was quoted in one of the rules and right. they had an open dialogue. John Cage came to the college and lectured there um, and they were you know, fans of each other. Um, so these are just rules that she composed with her students, with other collaborators. Um, I like how rule number seven 
is big and bold the first sentence and that's really the key to her success yeah she, you kept you you were the we used the word prolific so many yeah, times yeah yeah she was prolific she really was prolific and i think this she is, was a what's rule number seven yeah what's the only seven? rule is work <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the only rule is work um, That's great. Yeah, she was a workaholic. Um, oh, these are beautiful. Yeah, I want to show you. So the hallway is filled with uh, uh, framed work, yeah. prints, of course. And, you know, any visitors are welcome to come into oh. any of the boardrooms. Yeah, of course. Um, so this is one of the boardrooms that has some of the more iconic works where she was really incorporating you know pop cultural imagery or lyrics or um like song lyrics like this one's from the beatles i get by with a little help from my friends and um you know other advertisement logos um and copy uh, she was incorporating them directly into her work so this is where her kind of pop art uh, style uh, manifests in many of these works some of this type looks like it's just flying off of the page. Yeah, yeah. Like that she, one, the work power. Exactly. She was really good at, you know, placing the type and making it do that, making the words really feel alive. Wow. Yeah. Warhol wasn't just about materialism, right? Like, there are arguments about his importance and whether he was sort of kind of subverting the system or sort of what he was doing um, with his work. But I think what's interesting about Corita is that she adds this other component of not only appropriating these ad logos or mottos um, just into art um, to make it more like of a democratic form that people can appreciate but she also added this third dimension of like religious meaning so like whenever there's a he or a pronoun involved it's like referring to Jesus and I'm not religious at all I'm not a religious person but just as maybe an art historian being able to read these works with that added dimension is always something that makes it more enriching and also more problematic right because I feel like a lot of contemporary art historians don't like to talk about religion or spirituality. It just sort of gets oh, into this yeah, yeah. interesting place where the way that you're reading the image um, through the lens of religious, religion is always quite complicated, I think. Um, sure. But I don't know. It always makes it interesting for me as far as like some weird like linguistic exercise, right? <laughs> This protest photo, what are we looking at? Oh, it's actually not a protest oh, photo. It's so protest. it's, you know, every year the college had um, the celebration called the Mary's Day celebration, where I guess up until the point where Corita became this in charge of it, um, it was kind of a more subdued procession where a lot of the students and the um, nuns would just have this little parade up this hill to the college um, to celebrate Mary. Um, but Corita said something to the president of the school like, oh, why is it always so somber? And she's like, well, why don't you take charge of it this year? And the year that she took charge, I think it's 56 or 55, um, she totally changed 
it where it became it looked like this where she had the students make these signs they had a theme to the Mary's Day celebration which was world hunger so there was this oh. actual social justice issue that was driving the march it wasn't just about you know Mary um, so they made all these signs that were like you know give us our daily bread yeah they still sort of incorporating religious language but also making it more about consciousness of yeah and just <laughs> that's funny yeah. there's a uh, a poster with the Del Monte logo <laughs> above and on top it says something against lard I think is that I what that says? Yeah. I don't know. What that's does it so say? Funny. I that's can't funny. see. I should maybe that's a... pop art. Yeah. So yeah. this is definitely pop art, and yeah. she was clearly, you know, she went across. There's this thing called the Market Basket, which was a supermarket that's now a Rite Aid, I think. Oh, but um, okay. they would, you know, take a lot of their inspiration from like stores, <laughs> and they took that's all of right. like, you know, you can see the boxes that they took from their parking lots and made into these picket sign kind of things but it wasn't a picket sign it was more like a celebratory okay. event but it was still there still was a social justice message yeah it wasn't yeah. solemn but it was still like hey let's bring our attention to world hunger and issues of like food and you know nutrition and right. awareness of that so yeah but it's also like a party right yeah not quite a protest but there's it not, looks like it. It doesn't seem to be very many people of color, at least in that photo. No, there wasn't. And actually, it's funny. I'm Asian, so there's a there's a few Asian people, which oh. I'm always shocked. Not in this photo, mm -hmm. but during this time, um, whenever I go through the slides, I'm always like, oh, there's Asians, Asian women <laughs> involved with this What's, school, oh. which is more than other. That's good. Um, yeah, people of color, which I think is interesting. Um, wow. What a great photo. Yeah, there's a couple yeah. more. Now we're going into the hall again. Yeah, um, so here are there's some other prints where she used a lot of the manipulation of the page, um, of words that, um, pages that she saw in magazines, she'd tear them and then put them together and re-photograph them and then project them in order to make the screens for the prints. What's the time difference between these photos and those early, I mean, these prints and those early prints? Uh, maybe like 10 years or less. So That's, those were like 55, wow. 53, and this was, I mean, there's such a dr drastic difference. This is probably jump. like 63, 64, 65, yeah. Those feel very contained within their rectangle yeah. compositionally. These are like jumping off the page. Yeah, and they're and much larger. Much larger. Um, and yeah. they they seem to be exploding out, out of their boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. I think the color as well, it's not as like dark and heavy and just those prints are so overworked yeah, in the way the screen. Right. She's really like going into this they one. Are dark. They feel a lot is this after they leave the No. No, they're still with the yeah, church. Yeah, she here. is still with the church here. Yeah. She's still with the church. Um, What's interesting is there's a lot of reference to other artists, mm -hmm. and they, so far, what I've seen is they tend to be men. Yeah, and like that's... This is Robert Frost. Yeah, it's, that's Lennon. a really good observation because they had this really great series at the Immaculate Heart College. It was called the Great Men Series, and the way that... Um, <laughs> 
they invited, you know, celebrated men like Charles Ray, Charles Eames, his wife Ray, but also, you know, John Cage and, um, you know, Buckminster Fuller and um, I think even Hitchcock. Cock was invited. Yeah, but I don't know if he came, but like, yeah, Jean Renoir came, I think. Um, So he, uh, he, he, uh, or sorry, she was often using the pronoun men as like to refer to like a large, I mean, a larger population. Yeah, and I think that's interesting because that has changed now so much and the pronoun is so significant and holds so much more meaning. But back then it was like, oh, men, 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 men. It just means mankind. Um, So a lot of the texts actually of the prince say he, I mean, relating to Jesus, but like it says, it uses the word men often. and so we're going to go, why don't I actually so just finish with the chronology, because okay. this is the moment when she leaves a church the, in the bathroom, that tiny little hallway, there's okay. an alphabet series. So in 68, the two series that I was telling you, the, the alphabet series, um, is right, the two works that she created when she left the church and became really prolific. And then she also did in 69, this series called Heroes and Sheroes. But speaking to your question of like, oh, there's a lot of men that are being quoted. It's interesting because this is called Heroes and Sheroes. So I think like feminism was maybe certainly a term that she had heard and maybe like lived and knew about, but didn't in the series, there's not many women that are represented. I mean, there's a Mary, there's Virgin Mary, but even the quotes that are included in this series are mostly from men. <laughs> but the way that she incorporated, if we are to sort of identify some kind of feminist or female project was a lot more like veiled. Like this piece is one of my favorite pieces. It's called American sampler, but I guess a, sa- Amer- a sampler is something that when you're crocheting, um, like a particular kind of crochet work is called a sampler. Oh. And you can see with this, her text, she kind of is weaving all of the different words in mm-hmm. this interesting way where they're like layered on top of each other um, so that the words are kind of also cut off at different points mm-hmm. to spell like assassination american but why why not vtv like there's a lot of like this funny wordplay right, right happening vietnam um but it's like the same thing as kind of like crocheting different parts oh. of you know some sort of textile together and right um i don't know that's like a that's very great. oblique way though of maybe incorporating more what we might be able to identify as kind of a feminist project or a feminist way of making artwork, right? right? right. But it's not explicit. In the work, right? Like this, that piece is called Manpower, Where Have All the Flowers Gone? And a lot of quotations from, you know, Daniel Berrigan or um, Robert Kennedy or, you know, Chavez is not out, but or Martin Luther King. Um, so wow. this is a really important piece, I think, because it's her most explicitly politically conscious series of works up until this point. You know, you can see with her pop art, right. even if there was like moments of politics or sort of like, I don't know, for instance, this piece called Power Up would sort of allude to kind of like political empowerment. Um, it was never explicit 
but in this series, she really is being a lot more explicit with right. anti-war sentiment, um, with like anti-nuclear warfare sentiment and civil rights movement. Civil rights movement. This is a slave ship here. Whoa! Yeah. Oh yeah! Right. Yeah. Oh, she's juxtaposing the Vietnam War in the slave ship. Yeah. That, that makes, you know. Yeah, this is a really great series, I think. Wow. And what year is this? 69. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Is all of this digitized and online? Yes, it okay. is. It is. Um, I think the whole series. So not our entire collection is um, online, but... Um, I think all of the sheroes in here is a huge collection, a huge part of our percentage of our collection. So this is where we keep all of our permanent collection and our sales collection and our archives. Um, so this so is we've entered another room <laughs> filled with uh, file cabinet, flat files. Mm -hmm. Some art in the room uh, is hung and framed, yeah. but mostly it's shelves and flat files. Yeah, and we are it's very, very lacking in space. These are all uh, her watercolors are in here. Oh, my um, God. I don't know if I can pull some of these out. She was made a lot of watercolors. <laughs> um, these are just... Can I take pictures? Yeah, of course. Um, towards the end of her life, when she was in Boston, she was doing a lot of this just kind of plain air sort of painting. Um, this isn't the best sampling of her works, but... So she made hundreds of these, and what we did um, was we pulled out the ones that we thought were the most sort of formally significant, Art historically significant. It wasn't. I wasn't here when they did that. Mm. And then the rest are all for sale. So. Wow. Um, so uh, I'm just going to tell you one thing about these works are. So I told you that she did a lot of corporate commissions when she left um, the church. Mm -hmm. uh, but this is a panel of silk screens on canvas that she made for Digital Equipment Corporation, which was this company that did computers, but they also did the office furniture that you know supported the computers because they were often one and the same thing. But so she was asked to design these office furniture panels, um, and this is what they look like. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, so crazy. What? I know. It's so such a what we're looking at is a series of, or uh, like office furniture? Yeah, it's office furniture. Almost in the flavor of a cubicle, maybe? Yeah, totally. But it has uh, Karita Kent's design on the flatter uh, vertical. Yeah, the the desk, the Walls. panel. Yeah, yeah. The panels. Yeah. That's great. I yeah. would love to have a desk like that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and I think um, they never actually got produced because the only way that they could figure out how to attach them into the furniture was through magnets. And obviously, like, magnets and computers That's at this great. point yeah. is not, they weren't as advanced in the computers at this moment. I like moment. that computer. Yeah. The tiny it's little like a tiny, And then a huge kind of like shell of the computer. Oh, and then the keyboard. The 
No, no that's no. just like the that's filing just, okay. cabinet. I think this. Oh, maybe that is the computer. No, I, I don't, don't think know. so. I don't know. It's so crazy. That would be nuts if that was a computer because it's like four feet tall, yeah. <laughs> basically. <laughs> it's kind of um, cool looking. Yeah. It looks like uh, 2001 Space Odyssey. Exactly, exactly. That concludes another episode of Visitings. Thank you to Olivia Cha of the Creative Kent Foundation for taking the time to speak with us. Um, you can learn more online about the center at coretta.org. C-O-R-I-T-A dot O-R-G. You can find more episodes of Visiting's radio show at SoundClouds, iTunes, Dublap.com, or our website, visitings.net. If you visit us on SoundCloud or iTunes, please leave a comment so more people can learn about our show. Thanks, as always, to the Echo Park Film Center and Dublab for their support. I'm Alan Nakagawa, sitting in my living room in Koreatown, saying thank you for listening to Visiting. Thank you.